0: 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19 is my text today, page 1394. I have been hearing what Peter says about the suffering of the righteous in this world. Continues in this passage. Listen to God's word. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. When it comes to surprises, I found that there are two kinds of people. Those who love them and those who hate them. Now, whether you are in the mood or you can take a good surprise or not, it has to be said that a surprise takes you unaware. When Peter writes to the churches. He says, do not be surprised by the fiery trial that is set upon you. Translation that is here in the New King James is one that says, do not think it strange. But I like that, uh, the translation that others give, don't be surprised. It's a verse that jumps out at us though, doesn't it? It calls for attention, especially if you read it out of context. Don't be surprised by suffering, and then you go on and you say, if you suffer, you're blessed, uh, read out of context that may uh, be offensive even, or it may surprise you to see that, that if you suffer, that you are blessed. But if you sit and you read this letter all of one piece, you'll find that this has been Peter's theme all throughout the letter begin at the very start of the book to see that by faith you have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And in him you have an inheritance in heaven, a, a, a heritage that no one can steal or destroy, not even the opposition or the persecution of a world that hates Jesus Christ. And there is a world that hates Jesus Christ. And Jesus has called you to himself, and he's set you on a pilgrimage that is in the world, but not of the world. You are a child of God, and so by your faith and by your actions, you stand out. You are different from the world. And the Lord uses that as a witness to the world, so that they would see Jesus in you. And that in seeing you, that they would be without excuse on the one hand, And that some may come to be converted by what they see in you. But you are different. As a child of the king, you stand out. Because of that, your faith and your life set you at odds with the world. It just does. Because of that, we shouldn't be surprised by the fiery trials, by the opposition that we face in the world. But I don't know about you, but we still are surprised. We're caught unawares very often. There are a lot of reasons for this, and Peter recognizes the tension that this can bring. In his day, Christians were facing the type of persecution that could lead to death itself. But is it really different today? Has it ever been any different? To be sure, there are times and seasons when persecution is deadly and dangerous. Your life is on the line if you identify with Jesus Christ. And there are others, times and places, where the persecution or the opposition is more in the, in, the, in the frame of discomfort or shame that is heaped upon you from the world. But there has always been enmity between God and Satan. And I use that word enmity deliberately because that's the word that God used all the way back in the Garden of Eden. When sin entered the world, he came and he expressed his judgment upon sin, a judgment that fell upon the serpent, Satan, and then on all of sin, uh, all of sin and it fell upon all of mankind, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Adam, we have all sinned. And God said, I will put enmity between you, Adam and Eve, and the serpent, I'll put enmity between your seed, speaking of the coming of Jesus Christ, and the serpent, the seed of the serpent, or Satan. And by implication, there's enmity between those descending from Jesus by faith and those who are in rebellion against him in the world. When you think of the word enmity or Uh, enemy or anger you begin to then suspect that there would be fiery trials to come because of this relationship it isn't as though something strange is happening but as often happens while something isn't expected it can still catch you unaware and this light Listen to what Peter says about suffering. It's not a new theme, but he has some new aspects to this to bring to light. I'll summarize it this way. The Lord blesses you in and through your suffering. Therefore, commit your soul to him in doing good. The Lord blesses you in and through your suffering. Therefore, commit your soul to To him in doing good. Now Peter unpacks this in two ways. And the first is this. That you partake in Christ's sufferings. You partake in Christ's sufferings. Now as I've been reading this and meditating on it, and even as I speak it, you might think, what is this crazy talk all about? That if you suffer, you're blessed. That's just crazy talk. I don't feel blessed. I can't see any blessing in this trial that I am going through. A part of the difficulty that I would identify here is that there is a misperception about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's been... It's been perpetuated and encouraged throughout the modern world, and it sounds something like this. Yes, the Christian life is blessed, but it ain't blessed with suffering. In fact, it's blessed with health and wealth and all of the prosperity, uh, prosperity, everything that I ask for. That's the blessing of the Christian life. And it's that view of Christianity that is has in a sense infected the modern Christian world. It's not just here in the West. It's being exported around the world. Unfortunately, you can find it in, in many places. The church in China, the church in Africa uh, is, uh, is threatened by a prosperity gospel. But it is no gospel. It is not the gospel because it explains away suffering as something that is outside of the will of God and beyond his power. But that's not what the Bible says. Verse 19 says that we suffer according to the will of God. We suffer according to the will of God. This is surely a profound mystery. And it's not said to make light of the reality of the affliction that you go through. But we need to hear what the Bible says about who he is and about our suffering. I've summarized it before in two simple statements. God is sovereign over all things and God is good. God is sovereign over all things, and God is good. The objection that you often hear or that rises up maybe in your own heart as you hear this is that if God is good, then why am I suffering? Why does he allow this to take place? Why doesn't he deliver me out of this? It's a very real question. You and I struggle to wrap our minds around these truths, don't we? But Peter's answer actually strengthens you to stand fast. And I want to warn you that other answers may seem to alleviate the perceived tension that that question has. The goodness of God and the suffering I'm in, how do you bring those together? Well, it must be outside the will of God. But where is the comfort in that? That something that anything could be outside of the power of God. Because if God is not sovereign, then then he is not God. There is no God if God is not sovereign. And that leaves you to the cruelty of a godless world without any hope of relief or of meaning. And if God is not good, then we're left cowering under the whims of a capricious God. But God is sovereign, and God is good. Those two truths come through in this passage, which leads to this conclusion, as Clowney states, the key to the mystery of the suffering of the righteous is the mystery of the suffering of Christ. He goes on to say that God's will for our suffering must now be understood in the light of God's will for Christ's suffering. And it's that that Peter focuses on in this passage. as verse 13 says, you partake of Christ's suffering. I want to highlight Four different ways in which you partake in Christ's suffering. You partake, first of all, by partaking in the benefits of his suffering. It was God's will that Christ suffer in order to accomplish redemption. Earlier, Peter said in chapter 2 24 that Christ suffered on the cross to bear our sins. And in chapter 3, 18, that Christ, the righteous one, suffered for us, the unrighteous ones, to bring us to God. This was the Lord's will that Christ would suffer in order to bring you to salvation. You partake in the sufferings of Christ and that you are a benefactor of those blessings that are secured by the sufferings of jesus christ and in this you have reason to rejoice peter says this a couple of times in this passage that in your sufferings you have reasons to rejoice and isn't this a reason to rejoice that since jesus suffered for you that you are delivered from everlasting punishment By his death and by his resurrection, Christ has set you free. And he's given you an inheritance in heaven that can never be taken away. Participate, you partake in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And if it was was God's will for Christ to to suffer, then you can begin to see that he would be his reasons To lead you through affliction and suffering as well. Second, you partake in Christ's suffering when you when you suffer because it. it, Excuse me, getting ahead of myself. You partake in Christ's suffering when you suffer, because it confirms that you belong to Christ, like master, like follower. Our Savior suffered, and we suffer, not in an atoning way that is unique to Jesus, but just because we belong to Him. Here I'll draw your attention to earlier passages in Peter and Jesus' own words that if they persecute me, the Savior, then they will also persecute you, the followers. The disciples, you can take it as something of a confirmation that you are a child of God. That's not to say this is a a martyr mentality. We don't seek out suffering and uh, then take satisfaction, so to speak, in it. But you can take comfort in knowing that you belong to Jesus. Because you are suffering the same things that Jesus suffered. Thirdly, you also partake in Christ's suffering by the promise of glory to come. Look again at verse 13. It says, uh, if indeed you participate or partake in Christ's suffering, rejoice. Rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, that you may also be glad with exceeding joy. What Peter has in mind here is that he says that there is is a future before you. A future that is beyond the suffering that happens in this life. See, the path of the cross does indeed lead to suffering. But that is not all that that path leads to. After suffering comes glory. And so... If you have been counted worthy to suffer for Christ's name, you will also be counted worthy of a crown of glory and eternity. And that crown of glory is something of an encouragement. You can see the end of the race. You can see the reward that is there waiting for you. And like a runner who keeps his eyes fixed on the finish line and the prize that is there. Your suffering, the, the trial of that race, is endurable because of that prize that Christ has in store for you. But that's not all. Fourthly, you also partake in Christ's suffering by the spirit of glory and of God that rests on you. I just said that there's a, a goal, there's a prize at the end of the race and that that will help you to endure But what about now? Peter says, You are blessed even now. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Those crazy words again. You are reproached if you suffer, you are blessed. Peter's words are echoing once more Jesus' own words from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Or so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You hear there in Jesus' words that glimpse of the future glory, don't you? But don't stop there. As verse 14 says, the world may blaspheme Christ, or out of hatred and enmity they may persecute you, but on your part Jesus is glorified. And you are blessed. You are blessed because the risen and ascended Christ has sent his own spirit to be your comforter. You are blessed because he has sent his spirit to be a confirmation of your adoption into his family. You are blessed because that spirit of God rests upon you and dwells in you every step along the way of the pilgrim journey. Now, Peter does give an explanation here in verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this way. In other words, suffering sometimes does come as a consequence of sin, murder, theft, being an evildoer, busybody, these represent kind of a broad spectrum of sins that have consequences. He just says, "You suffer. That you you ought to expect that. Shouldn't be surprised there either, I guess." But this doesn't bring glory to God. Rather, they bring shame on your Savior. And shame on you, on your own head as well. But some suffering is not because of sin. Some suffering comes because you're a child of God. And as you partake in the life of Jesus Christ, as you partake in his death and resurrection, you're united with him, even in his suffering. And because of that, you can glorify God in this matter. Your suffering finds its meaning as you partake in the sufferings of Christ. Secondly, verses 17 through 19 then go on To teach us that the Lord blesses you in and through your suffering. He turns once again to the fiery trials that are setting upon us. Fiery trials that he even says back in verse 13 that are meant to try you. There are lots of scriptures that are descriptive of this. Lots of scriptures that show the purpose of the Lord to be refining and purging you as a child of God, that he has an interest in not just your deliverance from hell, but also your cleansing from the power of sin in your life. And I read from one of those that stands out in my mind. I read from Malachi chapter 3 passage that describes the coming of the messenger of the Lord. I hope you remember what those verses said. And who may stand when he appears? For at his appearing it is like the refiner's fire and the launderer's soap. And he sits like a refiner purifying silver this is part of the purpose of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Redeem us from our sins and to purge us also from those. What Peter has in mind here is not just the justification, the deliverance from, our, uh, from, the, uh, uh, from the guilt and the, the penalty of our sins, but the Lord also has in mind your sanctification He begins at the house of God with a judgment that purifies his people. I want you to hear that, that the Lord is intent on the holiness of his people and so intent that he begins his judgment with the house of God, with us, with his people, It is his purpose that we would be holy. It is his purpose that we would be like Christ. It is his purpose we would be cleansed from our sins. And so the Lord begins this process at our justification and begins a process of our sanctification, the putting away of our sins in this life. For you are now a child of God. You have believed in the name of Jesus Christ, said you are saved. And having believed, he now enables you to put off those former sins that once were characteristic of your life. In God, in Christ, the Lord uses the trials that are fiery to be purifying you, like a refiner who is working with fine gold. These fiery trials that we experience show us the love of God. They show us his purpose. They show us his intents to not let sin reign in our bodies, but to set us free from that power, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And If it begins with us first, says Peter, what then will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Peter quoting once more from the Old Testament from Proverbs. We'll merge this with Malachi again. And who can stand when he appears? Who, really, who can stand when Christ appears? Without Christ... No one can stand. No one. When Christ appears, he appears in judgment. And if you are not hidden in Christ, if you are not partaking in him, then you are exposed to the judgment of God. Psalm 130 stands out in my mind here. If you, O Lord should mark iniquities, if you should count them and record them and prosecute them, which would be your right, who could stand? Not one of us. David in Psalm 130 doesn't stop there. But with you there is forgiveness. You there is forgiveness. Holy fire of the refiner as a blessing for you as a believer, because it purifies you, presses you to be more like Christ, presses you to put off those sins that easily entangle you. It deepens your faith. It deepens your appreciation for what Christ has done for you. And it leads lead you step by step along that pilgrim path of sanctification. But the holy fire of the refiner burns away the wicked. Without Christ, you will not stand in the day of judgment. Be very, very sure about this. You will stand before Christ on the day of judgment. And our God is a holy God. And he is a consuming fire. And you will give answer to him for rejecting him. And in holiness, will be blown away. Like dust before the wind, you will be blown away. Blown away to everlasting judgment. You may be surprised by that. Do not be unaware. God is not mocked, He is indeed a holy God. You will not escape his judgment. And by the way, sufferings in this life, you may hold up against God and say, I can't believe in such a God. The sufferings in this life that you think might be relieved by denying God, the sufferings in this life are only a faint foreshadowing of that terrible day. They are a warning to you, alerting you to your desperate situation. They call to you, take shelter in Christ. I urge you, I implore you to do so. Take shelter in Christ. Peter concludes with this exhortation. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. What you hear Peter saying, what you hear Malachi saying, what you hear all of the scriptures saying is that God is sovereign and that God is good. And that means that he is in this. He is in your suffering, that he has a good purpose for it. Is it mysterious? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. But is it good? By faith we also say, yes. It is good. You suffer according to the will of God. And As you know the Redeemer's purpose, and as you know the Redeemer's love, Peter calls you to commit yourself to God in doing good. To commit yourself to this pilgrim path of sanctification. To commit yourself to to not despair in the midst of your suffering, To not accuse God of being unkind or to not even being there. To recognize that he is in this. Not only is he in this, but he is with you in this. The spirit of God and of glory rests upon you. In the midst of suffering. And the spirit of God is the spirit of sanctification. Because you will not be able to put off your sins in your own strength. Rather, it is the gift of God to give you his spirit. So that this pilgrim journey of sanctification would be enabled by the spirit that dwells in you. One who created the world by the word of his power is called to account here by Peter. Commit your souls to him as to a faithful creator. Commit your souls to him who gave his son to die on the cross for you. Commit your soul to him who gives you his spirit to rest upon you. One who sustained and created the world sustained your soul as well. Commit yourself to him. Keeps your soul. Are you one who likes surprises? Well, this type of surprise of the suffering in this life does often catch us unawares. You are caught in such a circumstance. Don't be surprised. But instead, see the purpose of God in it. To bless you. Call it crazy talk again, but it's not my crazy talk. This is what God says. If you suffer for Christ's name, you are blessed. Commit yourself to Him in that. Commit yourself to do good. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord God, we have heard again of the future glory that you have in store for us in heaven. A crown of glory that cannot be taken away. Pray we'd see that prize once again and press forward in the race. And Lord, we've heard today of the present blessing. We partake of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Lord, may that truth really sink deep into our experience of this life. May it sink deeply into our experience of the sufferings that we go through. And may we see them and understand them in light of your will to cause the Son to suffer as well. Lord, it is hard for us to wrap our minds around this. and In the midst of suffering, we can lose sight of our Savior. Instead, O oh God, I pray that we would once more be renewed in that gospel message that you are in this, that you are with us, Your spirit rests upon us. And Lord, I do pray that we would be warned that those who reject you are exposed to your judgment forever and ever. Pray, O Lord, we would heed that warning and find rest and protection in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's close by singing Psalm 119, I. 119, I. You know Psalm 119, that it's full of, of a commitment to know God's word and to follow after them. Uh, that the, the grace that we have would, would produce this fruit. Well, in the context of all of that, David said, It was good that I was afflicted. I stumbled when I didn't listen to you, but your affliction brought me back to you. Let's sing these words as a profession of our own faith, that we are submitting to a sovereign God who is good. Stand and sing Psalm 119i.